When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Line Trust, specialist fund managers. Hello podcast fans and welcome to Total Football. FA Cup third round weekend has provided us with a pleasing banquet of footballing stories. Great stories for Nottingham Forest, Coventry City and Newport County. Terrible stories for Arsenal, Mark Hughes and Leeds United. Some stories about credible goalless draws involving Shrewsbury and Fleetwood. Who says the magic of the FA Cup is dead? We'll get into everything from minor giant killings to Joe Hart's baseball cap on today's episode. Away from the Cup, we are waving a fond farewell to Philippe Coutinho, who is abandoning Liverpool for Barcelona. Jason Burt, the man who broke the story, will talk us through the deal and ponder Jurgen Klopp's next move. Plus, a chat with an injury specialist about which club has come out worse from the avalanche of football either side of the new year. But first, back here in the Telegraph's audio recording facility, I'm joined by the host of the Offside Rule podcast, Kate Borsay. Kate, how are you? Hi, Tom. Really good to be here. Thank you. A pleasure. How magical has your FA Cup third round weekend been? It's been pretty darn magical, it hasn't it? Has. It's been really good. I was having a chat to my friend yesterday about whether the magic of the FA Cup is still alive and actually whether kids these days still dream about playing in an FA Cup final. I don't think they do, to be honest, but maybe after this weekend... They'll be talking about it a little bit more. Well, certainly the kids in the Nottingham area, I would imagine, we have to start with Forrest's outrageous 4-2 victory over the Holders <laughs> Arsenal. Holders out of the competition at the first hurdle, the first time Wenger has ever lost in the third round. This was a really odd team selection from Arsenal, was it not? You can understand a weakened first eleven, but to have so little on the bench, why, why wouldn't you give yourself the insurance of uh, someone like Giroud on the bench? I have no idea. I, I think it's hard to predict why anyone knows why Wenger made this decision. It's one thing wanting to give the youngsters a try. It's another thing when it turns into a negative and it completely defeats the object of giving them confidence and experience in a in a top-flight must-win game. Yeah, the real concerning thing for me was uh, the fact that you put a player out there with a squad number 69. That just does not scream respect to me. I mean, poor, poor old Joseph poor Willock. Uh, clearly at the back of the queue when they were handing out squad numbers. But um, this was this was just an awful performance from Arsenal as well. I mean, I, I think you can understand going with a slightly experimental lineup, but 
But you can't really legislate for how poorly they played. No, and also if you've won the FA Cup three times in, in the last four years, you at least have to get to the semi-final, I think, um, in order for it to be your competition. But also tracking back from this and looking at Wenger's career as a whole, it doesn't take much for the Arsenal fans to, to complain or to even turn against Wenger. Now he's just given them an an open door for which he must walk through because they're not going to win anything this season really are they now this is it I suppose apart from I suppose the League Cup which they're going to have to deal with on Tuesday I think against Chelsea so or even Wednesday but, but so so what's he been left with he's potentially left with nothing it's a massive gamble has he written his own resignation letter it's not exactly like they're going to smash it into the top four now either having no. rested a few players in this competition so yeah extremely strange what why did they play so badly who do you think was uh, had a particularly poor day for Arsenal do you know what? I, I'm not even going to highlight anyone in particular. I just think that, that they should have known better. Actually, I think Per Mertesacker should have known better, perhaps the most out of um, out of those players play, playing. And um, although he scored a goal, I just thought Arsenal looked like they lacked direction. They didn't have a clue. You know, if you were to read the internal dialogue of some of those Arsenal youngsters, they'd just be going, huh? 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 <laughs> like little frightened rabbits. And when you compare them against the Forest side, and when you look at the fact that um, you know, Ben Brereton for Forest scored their penalty to take them 2-1 up. He's 18, yet you've got, you know, perhaps 22-year-old Rob Holding for Arsenal, clumsy tackle on Matthew Cash for that penalty. So when you look at like for like and you start to blame, well, he shouldn't have played so many young players, a lot of young players have really stood out this weekend. And when you look at the direct comparison, they should be doing so much better. Mm, Armand Traore as well. Uh, not not a favourite of Arsenal fans from his time there. He won the penalty uh, against his old side towards the end. Uh, anyone else stand out for you in particular for Forrest? This was a fantastic result for them. Lehigh. I mean, all day long. Two goals from him. Yeah, second goal, superb. And from a defender as well. Um, Brilliant for him. So it was really his game, wasn't it, until the the second half. Um, And then we got all these twists and turns and, of course, a fantastic result. But let's not, you know, shy away from the fact that, that, you know, he was a massive part of that game. And it's those goals that are really important that give Forrest the belief to carry on and also start to make Arsenal jitter. As well, so don't un- don't underestimate those goals. You know, you may have got some penalty decisions later on, which obviously are questionable and potentially two-footed penalty. Yeah, the double touch. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have the video assistant in place for the first time in English football on Monday night in the <laughs> Brighton Palace game, but perhaps could have done with it for this. Uh, it was an odd situation, wasn't it? It, it didn't look obviously like he touched it with no, it both didn't. his feet, but the, the Arsenal players seemed adamant. Yeah, and and. And obviously the second foot didn't kind of help in any way. In fact, it probably hindered somewhat, maybe. I don't know. Rules are rules, Kate. They are rules, yes. Um, my, my only fear with the VAR is, is you know, are we going to be watching Brighton Crystal Palace until midnight? <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Let's hope not. Uh, moving on to Coventry City 2, Stoke City 1. There was an extra joy in this result, Kate, uh, purely by dint of what Coventry have been through in recent years with their extremely negligent owners, uh, the, the hedge fund Sisu. Uh, what, did you, what did you enjoy about this match? I think it's um, I think it's what it says about a team who twenty years ago were, were playing in front of twenty thousand fans. Now 
the average fan um, attendance at the Rico is probably about 7,500, something around there. So for them, you know, we know that they've had their trials and tribulations for a, for a top flight side. You know, a bit like us always wanting Leeds to sort of come back and sort of show us something special. Coventry have been through the mill. They really, really have. And so for them to come back and put in this performance today, not only to defeat Stoke City, but also to be the final nail in the coffin for Mark Hughes as well, was absolutely brilliant. Um, I thought... Um, there was some woeful defending there by Stoke. They just, a bit like Arsenal as well on Sunday, you know, they just didn't want it enough. They didn't seem to care about it enough. And so it takes a team like Coventry to come in and go, do you know what? This is up for the taking to go in and steal it. So, so you know, well done, Coventry. Well done to Mark Robbins as well, actually. He's doing a good job with that side. They're doing well in League Two. They um, obviously won the EFL trophy last season under Robbins as well. So since he's come into um, the club, there's been, for me, nothing but largely positive lines. And I think let's Let's hang on to that. Let them have a good cup run and let them start to build on what's been a, just been a horrible, horrible decade for them. Yeah, of course, they don't actually have a ground necessarily next year as yet. No. Um, going back to Hughes, who do we think might come in next for Stoke after he was sacked following this match? Well, the favourite last night was Ryan Giggs, which just made me balk into my glass of Prosecco as I was celebrating my friend's 40th birthday. <laughs> uh, well, Martin O'Neill, uh, is he going to leave his current position in charge um, of the island, of um, Ireland. Who knows? Do you know what? It's I, tough, I, isn't it? You can't, there's not an obvious candidate. You can't really. And would someone like Cooman go there? I don't think so. You know, I don't. Would you necessarily want him after what happened towards the end of Everton as well? It, it got a bit nasty, didn't it? Towards then, look, he was he was great at Southampton, and um, and I thought he was very good with his players, very good with his staff. I thought that that would be his last job. I thought that that, that he would sign off with that job. Um, and he surprised me by going to Everton. I don't think he could turn them down. I think he'll turn Stoke down, though. <laughs> Do you know what? I really don't know. What about you, Tom? Have you got any leanings towards anyone? O'Neill seems to be the one being talked about as potentially a short-term situation. I think Gary Rowett is the kind of emerging fella, isn't yes. he? Uh, whether or not he would leave a Derby team who look like they're going to push yeah. on and, and certainly challenge for promotion is another question. But one thing about Stoke, they are a great club to work for. They're pretty unusual in that they're, they, are, they are a family-owned club. They've given Mark Hughes, what, four and a half years so for me, it's a great opportunity for for a manager who doesn't want to be messed around, who wants to be given a, given um, a chance, as they fairly given Hughes a chance, as they you know stuck with Tony Pulis for a, um, a long time as well. So yeah, I, I, you know, I think actually, although Stoke are kind of branded as being a bit unimaginative, and that's perhaps why Hughes was brought in there to try and beef them up, up a bit, to, to try and make them you know better. And, and and although he got these consecutive ninth place finishes. It didn't ultimately work out and they really need galvanising. Absolutely. One more real giant killing from the third round was Newport County's 2-1 victory over Leeds on Sunday. This is a wonderful story for Newport, managed by club legend Michael Flynn. They had a fire at the training ground earlier in the week. Mm. And you know what I really liked about this afterwards was they said to Michael Flynn, who do you want in the next round? And normally what a manager does in this situation is they fudge it and go, oh, we're just happy to be in the pot. He just said, <laughs> he Liverpool. <laughs> Absolute certainty. I want a big gun, he said. Fair yeah, enough, fair yeah, enough. Absolutely. I mean, Leeds made nine changes for this game. They actually criticised last season for making ten changes. Um, in the FA Cup, and there was a, there was an awful lot of talk last season about how, a bit like Wenger today, how these very much changed sides were, were sort of, uh, you know, perhaps managers could be accused of not taking it seriously, but also just not 
not very sportsmanlike, really, to then to then change your whole team. So Leeds were guilty of it last season. You know, again, Newport wanted it more, and the crowd at Rodney Parade were going nuts. And it does nothing better as a sports journo and as a fellow fan to just watch, you know. An open stand nearly topple over with the kind of weight of people jumping up and down. It was uh, it was amazing. You wonder about the momentum as well. Newport, of course, just avoided relegation out did, of the yeah. league at the end of last year. And, and this, you know, obviously these things are a long way apart. But you do wonder about what this does to a trajectory in the team in the long term. Yeah. They're kind of they're up at the top of League Two now this season. And this obviously won't hurt them. No, it won't at all. Um, and there's a great story about Robbie Wilmot, who um, is is sort of a sort of a linchpin of, of, of sort of most of their set pieces and played really, really well today. He was a free agent in July, pushing trolleys around a supermarket car park, apparently working working at a supermarket. So what a great story for him. And again, keeps the magic of the FA Cup alive. Marvellous. And 53 places separating Newport from Leeds in the table, the same number of places that separated Coventry and Stoke. What does it all mean? Ah, oh, 53. There's obviously something magic about is it, there isn't a, there? Is there a 53 in the draw tomorrow? Is there a number 53? You need to pay a lot of attention to that. Mm. One of the other themes of the weekend, a little bit less sexy, was brave goalless draws. Norwich nil, Chelsea nil, Fleetwood nil, Leicester nil, Shrewsbury nil, West Ham nil. Replays all round. How did teams like Norwich and Fleetwood, uh, who aren't having fantastic seasons in their leagues, manage to hold much better Premier League opponents to a draw, Kate? To be absolutely honest about it, Chelsea were bad. Does the cup mean more the lower down the leagues you go, do you think? Um, I think it's a chance for a side to play top flight opposition and to prove themselves. You know, if you think about it, <laughs> if you go right back to school and kind of sets, OK, so if you're in the bottom set for maths and you did a test and you beat someone in the middle set at maths, that was like, oh, hey, and it, it just goes back to our psyche. The underdog likes to perform against top flight um, teams. And, you know, I, I mean, Chelsea yesterday... Obviously, there's the comments from Conte afterwards, which I'm, which, which I'm sure we'll discuss. But um, they just were woeful. I, I just, you know, he he made nine changes for the game, Conte, um, and it was clearly an issue, clearly an issue for him. Um, Bakayoko just again looks very unsettled. Nothing's really, really sort of clicking for them. Um, Norwich looked the more likely to open the scoring the whole way through. I thought really. Um, and um, I, I just thought it was a pretty sterile game. Nothing against Norwich, but it, but it, it sort of was a, a a pretty sterile game, and 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 it was more a case of Norwich, yes, wanting it more, but but also just just kind of hanging on in there, and Chelsea not 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 producing anything. Mm. Yeah, West Ham also incredibly disappointing away at Shrewsbury. Joe Hart needed a baseball cap from his fans in the first half. <laughs> he would have so loved that. Why, why don't goalkeepers have a hat just with them at all times? This is poor preparation <laughs> from Joe Hart. I suppose so. But, you know, Joe's, Joe's still got a lot of friends at Shrewsbury. And he would have apps. I mean, I, I mean, a lot of the guys that he grew up with there, he has a very, a very small, close knit group of friends. A lot of them go back years and years and years. Um, he doesn't he doesn't really mix with, you know, many of his, you know, current or, or kind of recent teammates, really, and he would have loved going back to Shrewsbury. He that that would have meant an awful lot to him. His comments afterwards were were I thought, I mean, honest, but he he just said that we were completely woeful today. We played really, really badly. It always makes me a bit nervous because I know he's an on-loan goalkeeper, so he can kind of say what he wants. And I know that, that he would have been pleased for Shrewsbury, but he also, of course, would have wanted the results. He is a professional sportsman. I was kind of a bit taken aback about how strong he was in his opinion of his teammates. 
well, they were dreadful, West Ham. I can forgive him uh, feeling yeah, slightly angry about that. Come, yeah, but I mean, I, I don't know how healthy it is for your on-loan goalkeeper. H- however senior he may be in ranking, I suppose, he's still an on-loan goalkeeper. And he told it like it was. But is that what the West Ham... Is that is that what his teammates need to hear? Yeah, I suspect we may be seeing Adrian back between the sticks of West Ham <laughs> for their next match. What about Jose versus Conte? This has really escalated quickly uh, mm. from Friday night, from Man United's game up mm. until Saturday night when Conte, they've kind of gone back and forth four times almost in, in recent weeks. What's caused this and, and what's the solution? Is it an actual fist fight? <laughs> I'd love to see them dress up in those inflatable sumo suits and just have it out in the centre circle at Stamford sure, Bridge. Sure. I, I, think, I think that'd be fantastic. Um, I mean, look, Conte's been been really quite nasty, hasn't he, with this recent bar? I mean, jo- come on, Jose started it. Yeah, but 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 you expect it from Jose, maybe because he's bored, maybe because he wants to pick a fight, maybe because Pep is too perfect. Jason Mourinho's back in the Premier League, up steps Pep, and he probably thinks, oh, for God's sake, you know, <laughs> again, are you kidding me? And so Pep's gone and done what what he's done, you know, good season last season, great season this season, and Mourinho just seems grumpy. Um, and so, of course, he's aggravating people, and, 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 and you know, Wenger, he, he sort of, Wenger seems to not be a challenge for him anymore, probably because Wenger's written his own, <laughs> his own departure. And so he's laying into Conte, and I just think Conte hasn't really got angry back, but I love what he said about, you know, Mourinho's been a little man in the past, he's a little man now, and he'll be a little man in the future. So for Mourinho... There's no hope of repairing that, is there? Because he's effectively said, whether it's past, present or future, he's a little man and he's a fake. I know we're supposed to think that all of this is a distraction and all very petty and childish. but no, I, don't, I don't think this one is a distraction. I'm sorry, but those, but those are strong words from Conte. And I also don't credit him as a manager who, look, he doesn't waste his words. English isn't his first language. He would have thought about that statement and he... Would he have pre-prepared it? Maybe I don't know. I, I just, I just thought there was something very pointed about it. He knew he was going to get asked about it. He was probably warned that he was going to get asked about it, and I think he came up with that one beforehand. Manchester United on the pitch saw off Derby at Old Trafford. Tragically not televised for those poor Manchester United fans that weren't able to get to Old Trafford. That was one of nine examples of a Premier League team beating an opponent uh, beneath them in the table. But what about Jesse Lingard? Very impressive again for United. What, what's changed for him this season, Kate? I don't know, cause, because we wouldn't be talking about him in this way last season, would we? I mean, look, his game has developed and I, and I think under under certain managers, players flourish. And when you can find a player who ticks and who you're able to develop and um, perhaps he listens in terms of developing his game as well, he's just a lot more decisive. He's a lot more confident and he's enjoying a rich run of form and there's nothing like a striker on form. You know, it's a win-win for everyone, including the player. So he's just enjoying himself, I think, and um, and has been developed. Other side of Manchester, it was City 4, Burnley 1. This looked like a potential banana skin to me for City, uh, the sort of thing they might uh, just Mm. bow, the the competition they might bow out of this year. But I I know it's ridiculous, but is the quadruple sort of on for City, do we think? Yeah, of course it is. Look, in a a way, they're in a great position because they've built up so much of an advantage in in the Premier League that that they can easily go for these competitions. Um, the treble, of course, the domestic treble has never happened in English football, which would be very exciting, even if they 
didn't go all the way in the Champions League. <laughs> yeah. Well, he only made three changes for their game against Burnley. And look, if we're going to debate about whether making too many changes affects your side, have have a look at that. And and uh, and on the bench, he opted to, to to sort of go for senior players who had experience. Maybe they hadn't played an incredible amount of game time this 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 season, but he opted for for those senior players on the bench. He said talk of the quadruple was just an an illusion before the game. Of course he did. But look, yes, of course we can talk about it because there is a definite chance of it happening. Why not? Yeah, really, really difficult to see anyone, certainly in this country, getting one over on them at the moment. Merseyside Derby on Friday night. It was Liverpool 2, Everton 1 and a wonderful debut for Virgil van Dijk. What did you make of his performance? Very good. Liverpool have been crying out for him, for a defender you know, quality defender for for a, for a long time. I'm a Liverpool fan. Um, for me, it's been many, many years since we've had a completely cast iron reliable defence. And here you have a 75 million pound player who, you know, who will be the linchpin. Looks the part, doesn't he? Van Dijk looks like a, a, a sort of a hardcore German warrior. And I think Klopp likes that about him. I like that about him. He wanted to come in the summer. The club, well, Liverpool wanted it done and done in the summer. It obviously wasn't done. And he's finally got his wish. And I, I think Liverpool have dealt with it very well for Southampton. Um, I think it was a case, I'm led to believe from someone I know who's quite closely associated with the club, that it was important for the new manager to keep Van Dijk as a statement of intention and, and as a statement of his authority coming into the club. He's got many, many more things to worry about now. And so he's just gone, do you know what? Fine, go. Because what's going on at Southampton isn't great. I don't think they'll get relegated or anything, but they really, really need to pull themselves together. Yeah, they were among the teams to get one over on a team below them in the league, uh, beating Fulham at 1-0 at Craven Cottage, Pellegrino, avoiding a Mark Hughes-style situation. <laughs> Finally, a win for Peterborough United away at Aston Villa 3-1, which is a fantastic result for the League One team. Who do you fancy to be the sort of surprise package in this year's competition, Kate, based on what we saw in the third round? Well, you know, Peterborough were really, really good. I thought they were excellent, actually. Um, And they were playing some really nice football as well. I like the look of Preston. 5-1 winners at Wickham. They're they're quietly getting it done in the Championship. They're a Mm. very tidy team. They play in quite a sort of sophisticated way for that league. And they're also not really in contention for promotion. So I reckon they're going to focus on the FA Cup and we will be watching them lose to Manchester City at Wembley in May. Jason Burt broke the story about Philip Coutinho's £142 million move to Barcelona on Saturday night on the Telegraph Sport website, and he joins us now. Jason, clubs are generally reluctant to sell their best players in January. Why have Liverpool allowed Coutinho to leave now? I think that's the 64000 well, £142 million question, isn't it, really? I mean, I think that that's all. That's the question that all the Liverpool supporters are, are want, want answering because, you know, you, you thought the, the the thing to do is try and hold him to the end of the season or even agree a deal now to send him uh, to sell him. Sorry, at the end of the season. But I think a couple of things have happened. I think firstly, the player has made it absolutely clear he wants out. Now he wants out, so therefore, what's he going to be like for from now until the, till the end of that campaign? Maybe it's best in everyone's best interest to let him go. I think more importantly. I think Jurgen Klopp, who has had the final say on this, has decided that actually it's best just to take the money and move on, maybe for the sort of uh, the, be- the benefit of the team, maybe for the way he wants to move forward. And he doesn't particularly want to have more questions this month about Coutinho and his future. And I think also, quite interestingly, I don't think Coutinho is quite as vital to Liverpool as he has been in the past. I think the form 
of Mo Salah in particular. I think Sadio Mane, Adam Lallana coming back into the team. I think that's given Klopp some food for thought and, and, and the supporters also thinking that maybe they're not so dependent on, on, on Coutinho as they were. And actually this deal and the way it's been structured with a huge amount of money up front and actually the, the add-ons being much more achievable than they were in the summer is, is a good one for Liverpool right now. In saying all of that, I do totally understand and probably agree with the point of view that maybe it would have been best to try and hang on till the end of the season. Where do you think Liverpool will feel his absence the most? It strikes me that Lallana being back fit makes sense in the Premier League, but perhaps his quality will be missed in European competition. Yeah, no, I agree with that, actually. And I, and I think that, you know, they, they probably think they've got enough to finish in the top four, possibly even the top three this season. An awful lot of momentum behind Liverpool, especially with the signing now of Virgil van Dijk and Lallana coming back into it. But he is... No matter how good a team they've got, and, and the players I've already mentioned, Salah and Mane, I think he, he is still their special player. He is their unique talent. He is the one who can, you know, do that extra special thing, you know, either with a free kick or, or, or a pass, and he can play a, a, a number of positions. And I think he is their he is their be- he has been their best player. And I think in the last 16 of the Champions League, they've got a favourable draw, but maybe they could go quite deep into the competition still. And I think they are will be better equipped with him than without him. Um, but but I understand that you know it reached a situation where really everyone felt it was in the best interest of, interest of everyone involved that he, that he left now. Are you hearing anything about who they might go for to replace him? And, and do we think a like for like replacement is necessarily the best use of the money? Not not necessarily. I think there are there are lots of lessons to be learned in the past when clubs have received huge amounts of money for one player, and we can reel those off. And not least with Liverpool when they sold Suarez before that, when they sold Torres, when they sold Javi Alonso, they didn't necessarily invest the money well and. Sometimes clubs end up buying four or five players when actually they should concentrate more on, on one or two. And I think we've seen that with Gareth Bale when he left Tottenham and, and more recently when Romelu Lukaku left Everton. What I think is interesting is that all the supporters now are saying, right, OK, what next? Who have you got lined up? Who's coming in? I tend to think and tend to agree that perhaps Klopp might just wait. And I think the Virgil van Dijk um, episode is quite interesting in that he wanted Virgil van Dijk last summer. He couldn't get him last summer. Everyone was saying, well, there must be other centre-halves out there. And he held his nerve and thought, no, this is the player I want, even if we end up paying more money for him than we wanted to. And they've got him in the January window. I think if he can't get who he really wants right now, and I think there's a big question mark over that, I think he might just turn around and say, actually, I've got Adam Lallana back. I've got Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain playing quite well. I've got these front three who are superb. And maybe I'll just kind of carry on now with what I've got. Do you think there is an obvious replacement for Coutinho? Mares is the name that I keeps I don't think it's Mares. I d- I, no, I don't think that. I think that's been driven elsewhere. I don't think that's been driven by Liverpool. I, I think Mares is not the same sort of player. Um, I'm not quite sure he fits into what Liverpool want to do. I don't. Well, for, well, straight away, he doesn't press the ball, does he? So, I mean, you know, if I, he's not just a gauge and pressing sort of player. I find it. I don't think he'll be the one that they go for now. That they definitely are interested in Thomas Lamar from Monaco. But there are a couple of problems with that. Firstly, Monaco are saying at the present time they're not going to sell him this January window because they don't have to, because they don't believe the price will go down if, if they keep on hold of him and sell him in the summer. And also they're desperate to finish the Champions League places and qualify through the French League for, for that. However, that could change if someone puts an awful lot of money down. The problem also with Lamar is that Arsenal are in the bidding or have been in the bidding in the past for, for Lamar and retain that interest. And I think if Sanchez leaves for Manchester City, which I think he probably will do before the end of the window. I think that Arsenal may offer more money than Liverpool are prepared to offer for Lamar. But even then, I'm not sure that Monaco will sell. I think there are other targets out there that um, Ian Klopp will go for. I'm sure 
I mean, he must have been thinking over the last six or seven months exactly how he's going to use the money that he gets from, from Coutinho when eventually Coutinho does go. I also think it's quite important to say that with, the, with this deal, I don't think it's paying for Van Dijk. I think that money was already there. I think this is, this is the money that Liverpool will use elsewhere. And obviously, they've got Naby Keita coming as well in the summer. So there will be quite a big pot of cash available to Jurgen Klopp. And I don't think he'll waste it. I think, I think he will think very carefully about how best to use his money and we'll try and spend it in the right way. Yeah, signings have certainly been quite good for him so far at Liverpool. What about Coutinho? Where does he fit in at Barcelona? Is he essentially just a slightly overdue replacement for Neymar? No, I, I think he's actually been regarded as quite an interesting sort of player who can play in a, in a couple of positions. But more immediately, perhaps, um, he'll, be, he'll be used when, when they can rest Iniesta. Iniesta probably won't play in all the league games. Obviously, um, Coutinho can't play Champions League. So, so they may, Barcelona may turn around and hold Iniesta back a little bit more for the European competitions. Coutinho can play in a number of positions. Obviously, also Barcelona have got Ousmane Dembélé. We know they also retain interest in Antoine Griezmann, possibly for the summer. So they're looking to strengthen their team. And I think they may see him more as a midfield player than, than a forward player um, in the team longer term. And I think what's interesting with this as well is, this is partly why I think Barcelona have really pushed very hard now to press the button on this. I think there's pressure from their own players to buy other players. I think Lionel Messi and I think Luis Suarez is a very good friend of Philip Coutinho. I've pushed quite hard for this deal to happen. And I think the Barcelona hierarchy have felt the pressure from those players to, to get some deals done. And obviously they still have that issue with, the, with their fans around Neymar. Okay, the top of the league in the last 16 of the Champions League, but they're not quite the strong team they were with Neymar in it and not quite the sort of stardust they had with Neymar. And I think there's been quite a lot of pressure there. So Coutinho is a very, very important signing for, for Barcelona. I think he's a player who's going to come into his prime. And I think you know, we may still see the best of him. In saying all of that, I do believe financially it's a fantastic deal for Liverpool. Quite right too. Thank you very much for joining us, Jason. No problem. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. It's an especially gruelling period of the footballing calendar with the games coming thick and fast and injuries at much the same rate. Ben Dinnery, an injury data analyst, is with us now. Ben, we all enjoy watching wall-to-wall football on TV at this time of year, but how much damage does the fixture list do to players' bodies? We certainly see an increase in the number of injury incidents around this time of year. Um, Typically, we would expect to see something in the region of maybe an 8-10% to increase in the number of reported injuries. However, this year, um, around the fixture congestion and the, and the extra games, we've seen that rise to around about 28%, so quite a, quite a large increase um, for this season, certainly. And that's only with one extra game compared to last year. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not necessarily the, it's, uh, the number of games, it's, it's the amount of time actually between the games, and it, it's the congestion. Um, you know, if we look at research, and research will tell us that players need optimally between sort of 48 and, and 72 hours to fully recover. Now, squads and sides just aren't getting that at the moment, which is, which is where the problems seem to happen. Squad rotation feels like the easiest way to mitigate these sorts of injuries. But what, do, what can teams do with smaller squads to, to, to take the edge off? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation now with the pressures of the, of the, the Premier League and, and the amount of money involved in the game. You know, the, the obvious choice would be um, to maybe promote teams from the under-23s and development sides. Um, but often these are, are maybe certainly untried in the Premier League um, and maybe only have a little bit of experience from, from domestic cup. 
So to expect them to come in and, and, and hit the ground running is difficult. You know, it's a results-based business, and, and managers are, are under pressure to, to perform and, and get the results because ultimately, you know, if they don't, it, it's going to cost them their jobs. Ben, can I ask which club really doesn't help themselves either with the type of injuries that they get or, or just, you know, managing their squad around the injuries? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult um, question to answer that, um, you know, without knowing the specifics of, of every manager and, and every sort of set of backroom staff and doctors. You know, with the best will in the world, you know, I don't believe that any, any manager will intentionally go out, you know, to, to send a team out and, and hoping that players are going to pick up injuries. So it, it's a very fine balancing act, um, you know, but however, there are sort of certain managers which injuries sort of negate towards, uh, um, you know, if we look at maybe Jurgen Klopp and, and the dreaded hamstring injury. And again, that's something we've sort of picked up over the festive period with the likes of uh, Jordan Henderson. You know, and that can come down to, to things like, you know, just, just the style of play. You know, if we look at maybe Sean Dyche at, at, at Burnley, now they haven't had a great festive programme, but, but generally for the season they, they performed quite well. Sean doesn't like to rotate his team too much. Um, and they don't tend to pick up a lot of soft tissue, muscular tears or strains. And a lot of that's just to do with the, with the type of personnel that he's got with his, within his squad and also the style of football that he does play. Which clubs have had a particularly hard time of it this year, Ben? Um, this season, you know, we, we, you can look at it purely on a, from a numbers basis. You know, and there's, there's no team who's lost um, more days to injury than Watford this season. But then you can also look at it in terms of, of squad depth and, and cover. And if we focus on maybe Stoke and, and Mark Hughes just around the festive period, you know, he hasn't had a lot of injuries, but a lot of those have come in defence. So if we look, um, you know, Kurt Zuma was ineligible against um, his parent club. Uh, Ryan Shawcross had a, has a calf injury. Bruno's Martin inj- uh, Indies with a, with a groin problem. Eric Peters with a, with a hip and hamstring and lower back issues. So it's, you know, defensively, um, although they've only had a couple of injuries, that it's really affected Stoke. Your website, premierinjuries.com, has got a running total of the financial cost of injuries from month to month. How do you calculate that? So what we do then, we the revenue costs for, for clubs, and that's just average across the first 25 players. So what we'll do, we'll attribute um, a, a costing um, per player per day for each club, and then obviously when a player's sidelined, that clock will automatically tick up with, you know, the... Um, with the appropriate sort of amount re- relevant to each player at the club. And that'll generally peak in December and January, will it? Yeah, yeah, like I say, we, we will, I mean, certainly this year, so we will see, and it's, it, you know, it's common sense, we'll t- it'll say, you know, the more games you play, the more uh, risk players are, and, and the more chance that they'll pick up an injury. And we're seeing a, a 45% increase in the number of injuries going from, from November into December. So that gives you a bit of an idea on, you know, what sort of numbers we're, we're, we're focusing on. Um, a lot of those, almost 50% of those are, are soft tissue tears. So that's muscular strains and, and tweaks around the hamstrings, calves, groins, um, thighs and the quadriceps. So, uh, you know, it's an extremely busy time of year. Finally, Ben, I noticed on Twitter that you drew attention to Philip Coutinho's miraculous recovery from a reported injury just before joining Barcelona. Uh, how often do we think that the reported injuries that clubs put out into the world are differing from the truth? You know, it, it, it's, it's difficult to 
say well, what goes on behind the scenes. And it's a, it's a question that sometimes is, is levied at me, and I would say, look, these are professional footballers that they've got a, a job to do. Yes, they mightn't be happy, but you know, maybe naively, do I think? Yeah, they they mightn't be as serious as as they maybe portrayed, but there there could certainly be some kind of knock or, or niggle or you know something that's not quite right. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Thank you very <laughs> much for joining us, no Ben. Time for your hero of the week, and we are delighted to welcome Jerry Tocknell to Total Football, who watched his 900th consecutive Bristol City away match on Saturday. Jerry, not the result you wanted at Watford, but I understand you came away with a souvenir from the club. Yeah, I did actually. Yeah, it was really nice. Um, yeah, I mean, the result is disappointing, but we've got other things on at the moment. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think resting the players for the Manchester City semi final was probably a good idea by the manager, to be honest. What um, was the gesture from the club? Uh, they gave me a, a signed shirt. Bailey Wright, the captain, gave me um, a shirt signed by the manager and all the players, which was really nice, really nice touch. Lovely. Your run started in 1986, uh, this, this this 900. What's the closest you've come to missing an away game in that time? Well, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, had, uh, I, I played a bit when I was a bit younger, to be honest, and I had, I had problems with the foot. and I had an operation on a Thursday. Uh, I had a, um, a plate put in my right foot and the... Uh, specialist the hospital signed me off and said um you know you've got to stay in bed for two weeks and um you can't put any weight on it and that was on the thursday and i went to the race course ground in wrexham 40 hours later despite the fact i've been told by the doctors and the specialist staying in bed for two weeks what's your favorite trip from ashton gate my favorite going to visit actually i love going to meadow lane actually i just think it's great not cat you're a great club and i love i love it to be honest What's been the reaction of um, fans from the other side of Bristol? Honestly, I had a really nice tweet um, from um, a, a lad that's a Rovers fan. Bless him. He sent me a really nice tweet saying, um, you know, congratulations from, uh, from Rovers, which I thought was really nice. Very good. And how are you going to celebrate when you finally get to 1,000? Well, it'd be nice if it's a premiership game. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have no idea, to be honest. It's going to be about, I worked it out, it's probably going to be about four seasons, to be honest. Very well done, Jerry, on the achievement and for being our Hero of the Week. Thanks very much indeed. Kate, what's the greatest length you've gone to to get to a football match? It was the greatest length and also one of the worst decisions of my life, Tom. In 2012, the Euros, my friend was over in Ukraine watching England and uh, we reached the quarterfinals against Italy. We could be going out of the competition and she said, you've got to come over. I've got a hotel room. Her and her dad were there. I've got your tickets sorted. Just come. I was working at Sky at the time and I thought, is there any way I can wangle this time off? I went out to my boss and I said, look, England, Italy, quarterfinals, Euros. He was like, just just do it. So I paid for my ticket, which was over £1,000. Oh, no. And I'm really embarrassed to say that, but it could have been worth it. But I just thought, I, I, just thought I have to do it. When, when am I going to get this opportunity again? Everything sorted, went out there. And of course, we famously went out on penalties. And there was nothing like, I mean, if a TV camera had panned to me, I was actually sat with um, a lot of the players' families, sat, actually sat within a metre of Ashley Young's family. And when he missed... It was, it was horrible. It was a horrible moment. And all I could think about was the fact that I'd travelled one and a half thousand miles to get to Kiev and I'd come home with my tail between my legs and, uh, yeah, a thousand pounds lighter. How do you feel when I say the words Andrea Pirlo and Penenka <laughs> no, to you? No, please don't. We'll leave it there. That's your lot for Total Football this week. We'll be back same time next week. Release Sunday night in time for your Monday morning commute. 
contact me on Twitter in the meantime at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a happy rating on iTunes. All positive adjectives are appreciated. Our theme tune is by Polvo by their music at mergerecords.com. Thanks to Abby Patterson on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. The Telegraph Total Football Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist fund managers. New to Telegraph Sport and your ears is a brand new podcast celebrating England versus Australia. Ashes to Ashes reflects on one of the biggest rivalries in sport with exclusive interviews including Jeffrey Boycott, Jason Gillespie, Michael Vaughan and many more. Just head to your nearest podcasting service and click play. Simple, just like working out Duckworth Lewis. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.